I'm sweating. <laughs> are you sweating? Yeah, wow. Those guys aren't at all over the top, are they? Like, wow, what do you... So today, we're, like, there's no segue from that to this. Like, they're just, it doesn't exist. But we're going to talk about the Revelation's last word on the church, interestingly. And Eugene Peterson was a great resource for this message and for the whole series, really. And just to start it off, I want to ask you this question. Maybe this is an appropriate segue. What does God drive? Ever thought about that? It's not a trick question. It's a serious question. What's God drive? What kind of a vehicle, what kind of a car does God drive? Just noodle on that for a moment. I posed that same question to our kids over dinner this week. A couple of them actually got quite exercised about the question. Dad, God doesn't drive anything. He's just everywhere. He doesn't need a car. He's just there. And I was like, okay, settle down, theologians in training. (laughs) Just pretend that God had need for transportation with wheels. What would he drive? How would he get around? Some of you might be imagining right now that God drives your dream car. Right? Like a Corvette or a Porsche or a Ferrari. And you're like, well, if God drives one, well, then I certainly need one. Right? Absolutely. Maybe you're imagining God driving a sedan or a crossover or an SUV of some kind. Right? Seems fitting. Or maybe in your mind, God's green. Right? And so God rides a bike. Because bikes are very green and they're easy to get around on. So on and so forth. What's God drive? Can I tell you what I think God drives? A passenger van. God drives a passenger van. And I'm not just saying that because I have one. By the way, this is the Hopkins uh, family van. If you've never seen it, there it is in all its glory. And uh, we took it apart piece by piece and hauled it in the doors and reassembled it here on the stage (laughs) just for this. By the way, if you're ever out on Huffine Lane, and if you pull out in front of me while I'm driving this at 38 miles an hour, I pledge to you that this object will be much closer than it appears in all of your mirrors. I'm trying, really, to get better. (laughs) I think God drives a passenger van because, see, the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just for individuals. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for a people every single time. It's for a people, not just for individuals. And it takes a big old vehicle, a lot like a passenger van, to haul a people around, doesn't it? You can't haul a people in a sports car or a sedan or a crossover or even... And an SUV, right? And so now that we've sort of settled it once and for all, the issue of what God drives, we've settled the issue that the gospel is always for a people, the question really becomes for us, are you, are we being the church that God envisioned us to be? Are we being the church that God actually dreamed of us being and becoming? Let me set this up by saying this. Before any of us crossed the line of faith and knew Jesus in kind of a relationship sort of way, sin had broken us up, hadn't it? It had fragmented us, separated us, sentenced us really to solitary confinement. Some of you who are living life far from God right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know solitary confinement and you know it very, very well. And then this amazing thing happens when we step into the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, via his Holy Spirit, takes up residence in our hearts and lives He does these amazing things. He restores us, and he unites us, and he actually sets us into God's community. He sets us into the church. He invites us into God's passenger van, if you will. 
And you see, a relationship with Jesus Christ is a highly personal thing, but get this, it is never an individual thing. There is always a family, there is always a tribe, there is always a nation, there is always a people, there's a church, see? Which is why I'm so convinced that if God drove anything at all, it would be a passenger van. Because he, as the leader of this community called his church, isn't just a couple of people in a sports car, a sedan, or a crossover, an SUV. It's God's people, all of God's people in a passenger van. A lot bigger than this one, by the way, because we're all in there. We all have to fit inside there. And we're inside of there in this wonderful community called the church. But are we being the church that God envisioned us being? Are we just stepping through the motions. I want us together today to unpack God's community, us, the church, through the lens of the revelation with the time we have together. It's really fascinating to me, just for starters, that the vision that God gave John on the prison island of Patmos, it wasn't just given for John. It wasn't like some private ecstasy just for John. It was given for the church, seven churches in Asia, as a matter of fact. Revelation 1-4, if you want to look there. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And the same thing that's true of the book of Revelation is true for any and all revelation that comes from God. It is never just for you. It is never just for me. Revelation from God is for the entire community of God. Because you see, the gospel sets us immediately into Christ's community, the church. You see, once we step over the line of faith in Jesus Christ, honestly, one of the very first changes that should be transpiring in us is really a grammatical one. We don't say I anymore once we're in Christ. Instead, it's we, isn't it? We don't say my anymore once we're in Christ. We say our. We don't say me anymore. It's not about me anymore when we're in Christ. Me becomes us, all of us, once we become part of the community of God the church of Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 1-3 with me, if you would. It sort of steps through this. Revelation is for the church. Revelation 1-3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. There's this assumption, see, that the vision that God gave in the Revelation was actually going to be read and heard in the context of the church. Capital C, church. And the church, just so we remember, the church is never a place, is it? The church is a people. That means, please don't ever call the commons a church, because this is just a building. It's an ordinary building, and the church, that's us. We gather in this space, see. And God never ever had in mind that any of his followers would take the scroll, the big old scroll that the vision of the revelation was written on, that we would take it off to the privacy of our rooms and we would just sort of read it there, sort of hoard it to ourselves. He never ever has that in mind. The revelation is intended to be read in the context of the gathered community of God. Why? Because it's a believing community that is the context for life with Jesus Christ. The life of faith in Jesus Christ. But some Christians, maybe some of you even, you, you don't buy that, frankly. How many times maybe have you invited a friend to come with you to one of our weekend worship experiences and you heard them say this as a response? You know, I found that I can be just as much with God, I can be just as close to God when I'm standing all by myself out in the middle of a river casting my fly line or when I'm climbing by myself or with a couple of buddies at the top of a mountain or when I'm taking a jog all by myself on my favorite run. Ever heard that? But you see, the biblical pushback to that is this. 
There is always and forever in the Bible, God challenges our attempts at privatism and individualism. God pushes back on that every single time. Starting in Genesis 2.18, check it out. I just want to walk you through some of these where God is pushing back at our attempts at privatism and individualism. Genesis 2.18, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. That's right out of the chutes. Community. Genesis 22.17, I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's a lot. Hebrews 10.25, let us not neglect our meeting together. Not my meeting together with God, our meeting together. Matthew 6, 9, check this one out. Pray like this, our Father in heaven. Not my, our Father in heaven, us. Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself, community. And then Galatians 6, 2, share each other's burdens. You're not sharing anyone else's burdens when you're off by yourself, with God. Now, I'm not saying, get this, I'm not saying that the spiritual discipline of solitude has no place in the life of faith in Jesus Christ. There is certainly a time and a place for being alone with God in the place where you feel like you connect with him best. Absolutely, do that. Revel in God's handiwork. Go outside and revel in God's creation. Get alone, get quiet, get still with him, wherever that is for you. But also know that God's view is that the broader life of faith in him is best developed in the context of a community of faith. That's the church of Jesus Christ, the passenger van. It isn't any accident that John actually sees what he sees when he turns toward the trumpet voice. Revelation 1, 12, and 13. We've talked about this again and again, and we're going to keep after it. When I turned to see, this is John, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven gold lampstands. Standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Remember those lampstands, they are the church, the seven churches. And in the Revelation, we do not ever see Christ apart from the gathered, listening, praying, believing, worshiping people to whom he is Lord and Savior. Christ is in the midst of his church, and it is not possible to have Christ apart from the church. You cannot do it. But there's lots of us who would love it if we could, wouldn't we? How many of us would absolutely love it if we didn't have to put up with all the hypocrisy and all the distractions of all the other people who believe in God or at least say they believe in him? Wouldn't so many of us just feel so much better about our faith if it wasn't for those darn people who clutter the church all up, right? None of us relish the thought of hanging out with people who say they believe in God yet still look and act an awful lot like sinners, do we? But then we like stand in front of a mirror for about a half a second and we see, oh, I'm one of those. I'm one of those people who say that I believe in God and yet in a lot of ways I still look and I still act an awful lot like a sinner. Maybe you're one of those as well. And with that in view, many, many Christians think that the church, the gathered community of God's people is the carcinogenic pollutant in the pure air of faith in Jesus Christ. But God sort of shouts through John from the pages of the Revelation, no, it's not. No, it's not. The gospel of Jesus Christ swings the doors of God's passenger van open and says, get in. It's a community. The Revelation is for and to the church. 
And there are some who follow Jesus Christ who would love nothing more than to be able to go from that awesome vision of Christ caught up in worship. Revelation chapter one, we unpacked it last weekend. They would love to go from that spot to the ecstasies of heaven. Revelation chapter four and five, read that sometime. And then they would love to go from there to those awesome and grand battles against dragon wickedness that we see in Revelation 12 to 14. That would be their preference. They would just go from this extravagant worship time with Jesus straight to heaven, straight to kicking devil tail. But the structure, get this, even the structure of the book of Revelation will not permit us to do that. The structure of the Revelation insists that the church, that's us, we must be dealt with first. The only way from Christ to heaven to the grand battles against sin is through the church. And it isn't just one church. It's seven churches on the pages of the Revelation. And so there's these seven messages to the seven churches in Asia in Revelation chapter two and three. And we're not gonna get into great detail in these, but I would invite you to do that on your own. I would challenge and encourage you to spend a couple of weeks, maybe a few weeks, maybe a month, just you and the Lord pressing into the message from God to those seven churches. And as you're doing that, I'd encourage you to run your own personal spiritual temperature through the grid of the questions that God's asking there, the statements that God's making there. How am I doing in light of that? And how am I doing in light of that? And how am I doing in light of that? And allow God, we talked about this a few weeks ago, allow God to metabolize all of that in your heart so that you're actually in the process of being changed and transformed. God has much for us in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, seven messages to seven churches. And you see, the messages to those seven churches, they vary. You'll notice that when you read it. Yet, in the midst of their varying, we see this consistent thread all throughout them. We see the first time in Revelation chapter 2 verse 7. Check this out. This might sound familiar to you. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And that very same message is repeated to every single one of the seven churches all throughout the Revelation. We ask the question, well, why in the world does that turn up again and again and again? It's because, church, there are to be two, always two constants in the church in the midst of the community of God. And the first one is this, the Spirit of God speaking. That is to be a constant in the midst of God's community, the Spirit of God speaking Number two is that the people, that's us, we listen. The Spirit of God speaks and we listen, which means, Journey, that if we're actually becoming the church that God envisions us being, you know what we are? We're a listening post. And we better be a darn good listening post because we're actually listening for the voice of the Spirit of God himself. And that's not easy. Listening quickly decays into hearing, right? But hearing isn't listening. Listening implies this spiritual response on our part. Hearing that isn't actually listening. Isaiah gives this sort of phrase to it. He calls it heavy ears. Look at Isaiah 6.10. Listening that degrades into hearing is just a case of heavy ears. You got a case of heavy ears ever? Lots of us do, don't we? We hear the Spirit of God whisper a nudge or an assignment to us, someone that God would have us go and share our faith with or someone God would have us go and serve or someone God would have us go and be a resource to and for and so, and we don't. We hear it, but we don't. We have heavy ears. 
We don't share, we don't go, we don't serve, we don't put a serving towel over our arm. I'm too afraid, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too unprepared. You know, you know the excuses. Our ears are heavy. But Isaiah paints another picture for us a little bit later in his book, Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5, and he says, this is what listening to the Spirit of God looks like. This is exactly what it looks like. The sovereign Lord has given me his words of wisdom so that I know how to comfort the weary. That's an assignment from God. Morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. An assignment from God. The sovereign Lord has spoken to me and I have listened. I haven't just heard. I listened. And I haven't rebelled and turned away. I go instead. And so you see, Journey, if we're going to be the church that God envisions us being, we must be a listening post. We must thoroughly and entirely listen to what God says and respond to him in the affirmative and go, step that out. We go. We share. We serve. We give. We listen. And then we respond. And this just, like, bowled me over this week. The church, us, you know, this community, we are the only community on the face of the earth where people gather deliberately to uncover our ears and listen to the sound of God speaking so that we can live his word out. We're the only community that does that on the face of the earth. Unbelievable. And today, how many of us need to set down at the feet of Jesus Christ himself and ask him, to again open our ears to the sound of his voice. To open our ears so that we can hear the voice of one who creates, the one who creates, the one who commands, the one who comforts, the one who directs, so that we may hear time and again the voice of the only one who saves. That we might hear the word of the one who with a word makes all things new. Oh God, that you would open our ears, that we would never ever have a case of heavy ears. And when we listen to the voice of God, what is it that we hear? We hear this message from him, a message that provides spiritual direction to we who are called to live by faith in Christ. He gives us marching orders. And when you read Revelation 2 and 3, you'll see it again and again and again. When you hear from God these days, you hear the exact same thing. And God actually has a model for the word that he gives called spiritual direction. And his spiritual direction looks like this. It looks like affirmation, and it looks like correction, and it looks like promise. I put those on your notes page for you. I think they're that important. Affirmation, correction, and promise. You see, when God gives spiritual direction, when God speaks, he affirms everything in our life, everything in our church that's going well, and God celebrates that. It's like he's going, way to go, church. Way to go, follower of me. Right on, keep that up. And then the next step isn't necessarily so fun. It's the corrective piece. And when we read Revelation 2 and 3, you see this again and again and again. God says to his church, I have this complaint against you. I have this complaint against you. There's this reality that while there's these things that are going really, really well in our hearts and lives with Jesus Christ, not everything is going well. We do not have all this figured out. We haven't arrived spiritually in any way. So we need correction constantly need correction. Spirit-directed reformation, transformation being worked out in our hearts and lives. And then there's this third element of spiritual direction. You might call it promise or you can use the word motivation if you'd like. Why does that matter? Why in the world does that matter? 
Because no affirmation, no discipline can be sustained without sufficient motivation. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that I'm pressing on and pressing in with Christ? And God says it matters because eternity is in the windshield. Eternity is coming. Press on. Press in. And press on. And when John lays this model out in the Revelation, he's saying, look, for you to be the church that God imagines and envisions you to be, you must be a community in which you find out what you're doing right, that you're affirmed. And as difficult as it is, we must also be a community where we find out what we're doing wrong. We must always be a learning, growing, transforming community. And we must be a community in which we're regularly motivated by God's promises to us about what's coming someday. No church can be the church God envisions without, being all, without all three of those elements in play. Affirmation, correction, motivation, promise. And Journey, we can do those things in here. We can do it in here on the weekend. And we can do it in here at what I'll call like the 40,000 foot level. And that's what we're trying to do. Every time I teach, any time any of our other teaching pastors, any time any of our guests ever step up here and teach, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to affirm. I'm trying to affirm everything in your life that's going really, really well. Way to go. Keep that up. And we're trying to correct. We're trying to go, look, there's this. What about this? What are you doing with this? How is God calling you to this, away from that, to this? And then we're trying to motivate. It's worth it. It's worth it. No matter what it feels like today, it's absolutely worth it because eternity is in heart and mind. And now there's some of you here for that sort of 40,000 foot view, what we do in here with those three things, that fits the bill for you, where you are in this season of your life. Fantastic, way to go, keep using us up, please. And I just wanna say this, it's real likely that at some point in your Christian life, that process of affirmation, correction, and motivation, it needs to move to a more intimate level. A more intimate level than the person on the stage talking at you from about 100 feet or so away. And so that's why all the time around here, we're inviting you to engage in the myriad, more intimate opportunities for spiritual development across the life of our church. Because you see, that model of affirmation, correction, and motivation, it's in play across the entire ministry of our church. That's um, why we do what we do, as a matter of fact whether it's the weekend or small groups or mentoring or women's Bible studies or men's classes or marriage classes or serving opportunities, overseas outreach, Rafa, student ministries, and on and on and on it goes. That's why we do it. Affirmation, correction, motivation. And so you see the invitations that we make to you with some regularity, they're not just things we do and things we offer so that we can fill up your life and make you real busy. That's not why. They're instead very intentional invitations for you to be affirmed and everything in your life that's going well in sort of a personal kind of way. And there are invitations for you to be corrected in a sort of personal kind of way. And I want you to know that correction around the life of Journey Church is always kind and gentle and done in love, I assure you. The areas of our lives, just like any of us, we all have stuff that God's working on in us. There are invitations for you to keep after it. Keep after it, because it's worth it. It's worth it. You can see eternity in the windshield. It's coming. It's already, and yet it's not quite yet. And it matters. It absolutely matters. And we can do that absolutely from a 40,000 foot level in this room from 100 feet or so away. But Journey, I want to challenge you in a significant way today to involve yourself at more intimate levels around the life of your church. 
I pledge to you that it will only, God's doing this work in you, isn't he? He's started doing something in you. He's pledged that he's gonna finish that work. Set yourself in a place and a posture where that work can continue more intimately than just in here on the weekend. And so, if you wanna be the church that God envisions us being, involve yourself intimately. Affirmation, correction, motivation at a personal level. As we wrap up our time together, I wanna close sort of with this question. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have ever dropped in unannounced to a friend's house and been met with a barrage of apologies because the place is kind of a mess? Ever had that happen? Yeah, all of us have. And that's a weird deal, right? Because we're like apologizing. People drop in on us and, the, you know, there's like a shirt there and there's like a cereal bowl on the counter or something and, and we like, whoa, this place is a disaster, right? And it's like, we think that the person who came over doesn't know, you know, that like people live in this space, Right? It's like we think that they live in a museum or that they have full-time domestic help that never permits a cereal bowl to get left on the counter for longer than about a half a second. And so we apologize, right? It's like we're apologizing because people actually live in the space. Imagine that. That apology thing, I just want to say this. It's silly. It really is silly. And so I want to say this. If you're a person who apologizes when people come over and it's just a wee bit messy, stop it. Thus saith the Lord. And I set you up that way because John's view of the church is a lot like that. John in the Revelation actually sees and portrays, and you'll uncover this when you read Revelation 2 and 3, John sees and portrays God's view of the church as being a lot like our messy family rooms, and we have those, don't we? Because you see, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we're not like Victorian parlors in which everything is always picked up and perfectly tidy. And John makes no apologies for the church being like a messy family room, not even close. And when the church is the church that God envisions us being, that's just the way it is. Things are out of order. They're lived in. We're not a showroom. Remember, we're a living room, and we're populated by sinners, sinners who leave clothes laying around and fingerprints on the walls and woodwork, mud ground into the carpet sometimes. That's who we are. We're the church. And until such a time as Jesus stops calling sinners to himself and starts calling the perfectly righteous to himself, which, by the way, I don't foresee that happening anytime ever, as a matter of fact, the church is going to be messy. Us, we're going to be messy. God's van is not always going to be neat and tidy on the outside, perfectly clean on the inside. Why? Well, because we're in it. We're in it. And we are, really, for lack of a better word, we're a mess, aren't we? We're the church, and we're in community together with God, and we're listening to the voice of God, and we're acting to the very best of our ability on that word obediently, and we're being affirmed, and we're being corrected, and we're being motivated, and we're quite a mess, and that we're quite a mess is going to be offensive to a whole bunch of people. That we're a mess is gonna be offensive to a whole bunch of people. And it'll offend some people that we're a mess because they've confused the difference between the lampstand and the lamp itself. They've mixed all that up. And what I mean by that is in that vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter one, Jesus was standing in the midst of the church, wasn't he? These seven lampstands. He's standing in the midst of the church. Which means that you and I, we're lampstands. We are the church. We are the lampstand. We are the community of Christ who reflect the light of Christ to the world around us. But if we're the lampstand, you know what that means? We're not the lamp. Let 
We are not the light. And when self-righteous people get offended because the church isn't perfectly neat and tidy, when they get offended that our lives aren't like Victorian parlors, all prim and proper, perfectly immaculate, it's because they're mixing up the deal. They think we're supposed to be the light when Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. You're just supposed to hold up and reflect Christ's light. Christ is the light. We merely show him to the world around us. And so you know what that means, church? Is that we, because we're just lampstands, we can't change human hearts, can we? We can't heal up wounded souls. We can't turn hatred into love. We can't bring about repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, or peace for that matter. We by ourselves cannot get to the root of the great problems that are plaguing our world today. But we know the one who can. And we hold him up and we reflect him as brilliantly as we possibly can because it's him. It's Jesus Christ and his love that conquers sin and wipes away shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams. And ultimately, it's him that changes the world one heart, one life at a time. And you, me, us... We get to reflect him. We get the privilege of reflecting him to the world. We are his lampstand. Are you doing it? Are you being the church that God envisioned you to be from the very beginning of time? I hope you are. Take your stuff and set it aside. I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads if you would and go to prayer. Just take these moments to speak to the Lord about what's on your heart and your mind. still in this posture of prayer and listening to God I just want to say us being the church that God envisions us being starts with every one of us having a relationship with Jesus Christ it starts with every single one of us giving our hearts and lives to him saying you know my system, my plan the system that I've been working on to try to sort of get myself to God I'm realizing that it's not working it's broken. And God knows it's broken. And he says, I love you so much that I sent my one and only son to live, to show you how to live, to die, so that you might have life with him forever and ever. Life that starts right here and right now. And God says, set your system aside. Set your effort down. Stop striving and just step into me through the gift of my son, Jesus Christ. And if you're a person who's here today and you realize you've not ever made that decision, why wouldn't you do it today? Or wouldn't you set your system down and say, I'm going with God on this one. And if that's the desire of your heart today, just start by confessing to him, God, I get it. 
I am a sinner and I am hopelessly lost. And I realize, God, that the only way to you is through your son, Jesus. And so I'm taking you up today on your offer. Here's my heart, here's my life, here's my everything. I'm done striving. Jesus, it's you, and it's only you. Forgive me, please. Here I am, all of me. And Jesus, I pray that you would change me, that you would transform me. And if you're a person who's here today and you're saying yes to Jesus, could I just ask you to do a real bold thing right now? Would you just lift your hand up in the air real high so I can see and lock eyes with me and just say, yeah, yeah, right here, right here, right here, and there, yes, absolutely, and there, yeah, yeah, there, there, right here, yes, and over there, yeah, way to go, yeah. God, we desperately need you. And we long for your affirmation, and we long for your correction, and we long for your motivation. And so, Jesus, would you please speak to us? Open our ears. Help us be obedient. And Jesus, please, Make us the church that you envision us being. Make us the lampstand that you made us to be for your glory, for your name, for your kingdom come on earth just as it is 